Welcome to Insurance Claims Innovation. I am Chris Tidball, Executive Claims Consultant with Second Look, where we routinely find our insurance clients millions of dollars. On our podcast, we showcase others in the insurance claims arena who are using cutting-edge technology to gain a competitive advantage. We believe that all of our guests have a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show and we will reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Welcome to Insurance Claims Innovation. Today we have Kevin Quinley, owner of Quinley Risk Associates and one of the foremost insurance claims experts in the nation. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Chris. It's my pleasure. Great. I'm glad you could make the time today. Um, so let's start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself. You know, what's your journey? How did you get into claims? Probably like a lot of people by happenstance. My career has two or three threads to it, but I, it, the time is 1977. I was newly minted master's degree in foreign policy, and I needed a job. And there, you know, I was one of these sort of useless liberal arts majors. Um, and I was sent on an interview to Crawford and Company to be a claims adjuster. I had no idea what an adjuster was, but the branch manager interviewed me. He talked virtually the whole time. There was not much of an interview, but they started you, this is 1977, $9,000 a year plus a company car, plus full benefits. That sounded pretty good to me as a bridge. I figured, you know, I, if I do it for a while. And they trained you. They send you to Atlanta to their adjuster boot camp. So I thought I'd do this for a couple of years and then maybe go back get a PhD, go into academia, maybe foreign service, try for that. Lo and behold, I kind of I liked the claims <laughs> business. It was a real... Uh, different shock from being in academics and the people right. I was dealing with and the stress. So I was in the Norfolk, Virginia office. I grew up in Norfolk. I was a Navy brat. I was there for about five years and I got took a promotion and transfer to its Washington, D.C. office to Crawford and Company, handling all types of claims, the, the whole gamut, waterfront. I was with Crawford until 1986 I just got my CPCU designation. I was a little restless to advance within the company. It's a great company, great training ground. There's a sense you got to pay your dues, you know, to to uh, advance, no matter how how sharp of a whippersnapper you are or think you are. Uh, so in 1986, I I took an opportunity to transition to a company called Medmark Insurance Group in the D.C. area. They were startup. They specialized in writing product liability coverage for medical device manufacturers, life science companies. I became claims manager, then VP of claims, then senior VP of claims, then senior VP of risk services, because they brought a former hospital risk manager dealing with claims and litigation across the country in medical technology. That was very interesting. I was at Medmark for 22 years, had a really good run. Um, but, uh, I was, uh, I got an opportunity to go to work for a competitor of theirs, a, a startup subsidiary of a fortune 500 insurance company, WR Berkeley, who was interested in me coming aboard in a risk management capacity, not so much claims. So in 
2009, I joined Berkeley Risk Services, uh, Berkeley uh, Life Sciences as the VP of Risk Management. I was working remotely in the DC area. Their office was in Ewing, New Jersey. Parallel to that, I sort of launched a side hustle career as a business writer. I had I writ, wrote 10 books on various aspects of insurance and claims. I was writing hundreds of articles over a period of years. So I was sort of developing this parallel career as a business writer for various reasons. And, and then it came to pass because of my visibility in writing and in speaking at conferences, I started getting unsolicited overtures from law firms around the country to serve as an expert witness on litigated insurance disputes, typically bad faith cases. I had a full-time corporate job, so you know there's not much I could do, but I did take a few cases on a moonlighting basis and had to turn more and more away. So fast forward to 2011, I'm at Berkeley, and I've been in the corporate world for 30-some years, and I think like a lot of people, I got an entrepreneurial itch, and I, I became somewhat temperamentally unsuited for the corporate life, and those two things together, my wife kept saying, how about this expert witness thing? Would you ever think about doing that full time? No, no, I could never do that. Leave the corporate womb. I got these benefits here and they take care of me. But it came to pass in the fullness of time in late 2011. I, I left the corporate womb, stepped out on my own. I had a few cases at the time, took a deep breath. It was terrifying, became an expert witness. I formed a uh, Quinley Risk Associates, as a small person, you're looking at the entire workforce here today <laughs> and uh, specializing in doing expert witness work on litigated insurance cases around the country. That, that's where we are today. Last year, I celebrated my 10th anniversary in business. Wow. November, it'll be 11th. Wow, that, congratulations. I mean, what a, what a great story. I mean, you have seen so much change over the years. I mean, and, and you interact with a lot of adjusters, I'm sure. So, so what do you think? What are the greatest challenges facing adjusters today? Well, Chris, that's a great question. A couple come to mind. Number one is, is claim volume. And uh, what I say, a rising tide of claim, and no pun intended, but climate change alone, you know, is driving freakish weather events and natural disasters and catastrophe claims. So I, I think that the, the sheer volume of servicing needs that will be driven by uh, climate change and what we're seeing. On the casualty side, a uh, second area would be social inflation. You know, we're in Carl Sagan territory with jury awards. So we're by billions and billions, as Carl Sagan used to say. And right. I think we're becoming desensitized to really high cost uh, jury awards, which are also driving, you know, settlements as well. So that's the social inflation on the casualty side. Heightened customer expectations. We're conditioned to, you know, for instant gratification, uh, next day service uh, with Amazon, uh, sort of a microwave claim process and immediate gratification. And if uh, the cadence of the claim doesn't match the consumer expectation, you've got conflict there. I think the drumbeat of lawyer ads, all you have to do is turn on the TV during the day yep. or the early evening and uh, or look at the billboards and, and the, the way that they portray claims people as, as shysters looking to shortchange consumers. 
And then all the electronic interruptions that, that a claims people face that I, I did not have to when I started out. There was no, there's no email. There's not even any fax. Right. There, there was no Slack. There's no instant messaging. Uh, nowadays, if you're a knowledge worker, you are bombarded uh, by all of these uh, electronic stimuli and you are expected to be on top of them and respond and simultaneously work this caseload, which involves some concentration. Maybe we'll get into that. Also, the, the amount of time just spent in data entry. I mean, data analytics, data collection is understandably a concern of carriers. To capture that data, though, you, you've got a, a more and more claims people feel like they're data entry clerk, that a lot of their time is not spent investigating, evaluating, or negotiating, but entering data. I know a lot of school teachers who are burned out, not because they hate teaching, they love teaching, but right. increasingly their jobs involve data entry so that the, that the higher ups can track trends and compare to standards of learning. I'm not saying that's bad, but it's not teaching and data entry is not really adjusting, but it's on their plate as well. And then the final, Thing I, I would mention, Chris, is the trend toward um, remote work or hybrid work arrangements, working from home uh, or working, you know, sometimes from home, sometimes going into the office. That's not a bad thing, but it does undercut this sense of, of identifying with being part of a team, part of the corporate mission, uh, enhanced feelings of being isolated. The claims, the claims job is tough enough, but if you overlay that with some feelings of being on an island, uh, isolated, uh, you can't, it's not as easy to talk to somebody in the next cubicle or walk down the right. hall. Yeah, there are electronic ways that you can communicate and try to build that community. Those are what I see as in no particular order, some of the challenges facing claims people. Yeah, those are, I mean, those are great points. You know, it's, it's funny, my, my son is actually interviewing for a claims adjuster position today. So he's been, uh, he's been researching it and, and he asked a lot of, a lot of the questions. So I think he's going to find your answers to be quite interesting when he listens to this. Um, you've talked about adjusters being cognitive athletes. What do you mean by that? What I mean is that claims work, admittedly, is not cold fusion. It's not rocket science, but it is cognitively demanding if it's done well. By that, I mean that as a claims person, you need to have some knowledge and grounding in a number of subject matter areas and disciplines, uh, law, medicine, construction, coverage, policy wording. You, you need the substantive content knowledge base. And you also have to have soft skills. And so adjusters, claims people, I'm gonna use adjusters in sort of a generic sense, Chris. Adjusters need to be able to apply the subject matter area, depending upon what type of claim that they are working on and specializing in. And they, they've got to do it in a, in a wide variety of scenarios. Because we say that each claim is unique. It's like a snowflake. There's no one exactly like the other. Yeah, there's some commonalities and similarities, but the, the, the number of subject matter areas where claims people need, not necessarily to be expert, but to be conversant with and the ability and their willingness and ability to learn 
new subject matter areas to adapt to the type of claim that they're handling, to evaluate liability, to evaluate damages, to plan and negotiate successfully. That's not easy. It's mentally demanding if it's done right. And that's why I call claims people cognitive athletes. They're not unique. I mean, uh, attorneys are as well, of course, physicians. There are a number of knowledge workers, but the, they need to have periods of that allow for sustained concentration right. and focus, uh, what some people call deep work, to do that well. But that, that is extremely, that's extremely challenging. They, they need to be able to learn new material and, and to adapt to changes, which I think is going to be sort of the, you know, one of the secret sauce success factors in the, in the 21st century. Your ability, no matter where you are in your career, no matter where your age is, to be open to learning new things, whether it's a new technology a new software program, uh, a new line of coverage, such as cyber uh, or, or others, uh, ways to interface with, uh, with uh, it, it, technology, artificial intelligence. But I think while the importance of being a cognitive athlete as a claims person is ever more important, it's ever more challenging because of some of those stimulations and distractions that I mentioned a few minutes ago. You're right. you, you don't have the luxury of monastic solitude in focusing on this claim file. You, you, or you don't have just one claim file. You're, you're a juggler. And on top of right. that, you've got, you've got email, you've got text messages, you've got Slack channels, you've got meetings, you've got new cases coming in. You, you've got a slew of interruptions. So balancing that need for sustained cognition, what I, what I call cognitive athlete, we put a claims people in work environments oftentimes, which degrade that ability. To me, it is like an Olympic athlete or an Olympic aspirant who smokes cigarettes and eats Twinkies <laughs> as part of their, of their dietary staple and said, Okay, uh, that's how we're going to train for the Olympics. But if you step back and look at the work environment of adjusters and what we hold them accountable for doing in terms of deep, deep work, I think there are two contradictory channels. And that's, that's sort of my, my rant in terms yeah, of- Yeah, no, I, I think you, you bring up a, a really good point. I mean, I'm sitting here listening to what you're talking about and you mentioned things, you know, all right, you start work back in the 70s. Um, things were different, right? I mean, you mentioned technology, C cyber, right? Cyber wasn't even a thought back then. Um, different platforms, AI, I mean, all the competing things. So, so, so much has changed. I mean, you know, you think here we're in 2022, going back to the 70s. You know, what are the biggest changes you've witnessed during your claims career? Well, you put your finger on one of them right off the top, and that is technology. You know, when I think about when I started the claims business, Jimmy Carter was president, and there was there was not much in the way of technology. It, it's it's like looking at those old sepia-toned photographs <laughs> from many many years ago. When I think about how I started technology, uh, paper claim files versus the digitization 
of yeah. everything. Now, these are good things. I'm not critical, but uh, the ubiquity of email, okay, which which has its own uh, perils and pitfalls, especially you know in terms of bad faith and you know bad oh, documents sure. that can arise in the context of what I do now as an expert witness. Um, the increasing use of uh, of data and big data. Uh, and claim analytics, the explosion and the innovations in claim analytics to allow management to forecast loss trends from a portfolio of, of claims. Those are changes. The emergence of social media as well uh, as, a, as a claim investigation tool. In, in the old days, I mean, we could do activity checks or we could order surveillance and you could still do those things. But on top of those things, there's all sorts of uh, happy hunting grounds sometimes in gold mines, oh, yeah. especially on, on disability claims, injury claims, things of that nature. Social media opens up an, an entire new uh, landmine, if you will, for bad faith claims and also distractions for adjusters, you know, uh, looking at updating their, their social media feeds. And I think also another trend that I see is, and a, and a change is the sort of the fragmentation or specialization of the claim handling process. What I see as a, as a claims consultant and expert witness is that, you know, you have people who are like uh, pre-litigation, they only handle non-litigation cases, or, they, uh, or if the case goes into suit, then there's a different department or type of claims person who takes over. Put differently, when I started, you handled a file from cradle to grave from right. womb to tomb, from first notice of loss till the release or settlement or dismissal or trial. I, I find that, again, this is, not a, this is an observation, not necessarily criticism, but you have fragmentation essentially of different claims people who specialize in handling claims at specific partitions in the life cycle of that claim. And that, that can be good and bad in terms of uh, disconnect and, and lack of continuity of care, to use sort of a medical healthcare metaphor. On the other hand, it's good because you get different, uh, different perspectives on a claim. Also, an increasing emphasis on file documentation. Again, this is not bad in and of itself, but the more time you spend documenting a file, and auditors and management never have enough documentation. And certainly bad faith plaintiff attorneys never have enough documentation. But all the time that you spend doing that, you can't be investigating, evaluating, and negotiating. Right. You can have a super well-documented file, but if that leaves you with little or no time to do the three core pillars of claims handling, you know, what is the point? I know there's a happy medium here. A, a final comment I'll make, Chris, is that uh, a change I've seen is a greater diversity in the claims workforce. Uh, back in the day, I hate, hate to sound like an old fogey, I mean, the claims was largely a male-dominated vocation. And when I started the claims business, it was male-dominated. And that's not the case anymore. Uh, you know, as Martha Stewart would say, that's a good thing. More and more, when I look at claim files, you know, I'm brought in long after the fact, maybe months or years after a claim has been closed. But now it's got a second life as a bad faith or extra contractual claim. You know, a, a lot of the claims handlers and sometimes management uh, are women. And, and again, that is, that is a good thing. It is not, my perception is, 
it is not as male dominated as it was. There's more diversity uh, amongst the uh, claim force. So those are some of the technological, some of the work environment, some of the human resource changes that I've seen in, in my career. No, it's, I mean, this is, it's, it's fascinating. I, I think, you know, you, you started several years be, before I did. And I mean, I think back at the, the changes that, that I've seen, and I can only imagine, you know, adding a few more years on there. It's, it's been a lot. And I think you, you bring up a good point. Some of the things are for the better. And some of the things, you know, are maybe not, not so much for the better. Um, so, so you've had great success since starting Quinley Risk Associates. You're helping clients improve their claims handling, their claims outcome. You know, what is the secret to doing that? Well, I wish I could bottle it and patent it. And it's very <laughs> kind of you to, uh, to say that it's been successful. Uh, but I've been able to, to do this now for 10 or 11 years. Uh, business is good for good or ill litigation involving insurance companies. I think it's important to reframe in my current capacity what success looks like or what what good out, optimized outcomes look like? Because as an expert witness, I do, not, I do not get caught up in helping my side win, if that makes any sense. I'm typically either retained by, a, by an insurance company defending itself against a, a bad faith type claim or an aggrieved policyholder. I mean, my caseload is split about 50-50. About to me, an optimized outcome could be paying a claim. For, it could be recognizing that there are there are soft spots in the handling of the claim and assisting the client in helping to make a decision that this is a extra contractual or bad faith claim that needs to be resolved, i.e. settlement. Or on the other hand, depending upon the case, depending on my opinion, because I call them as I see them, my aim is not to, I'm not an advocate for anything other than my opinion. I'm not an advocate for the plaintiff or defense but to give them the straight scoop as a claims person an objective assessment of my opinions. If that helps a company uh, win a trial, if that helps a company uh, position a motion for summary judgment to dismiss the claim, that's an optimized outcome. Or if it helps a company assess that there are some soft spots in a claim file, and perhaps we should seek resolution or mediation. That's an optimized outcome. So that's why I think it's really important as an expert witness. There are some expert witnesses who tout their, their success rate, their win rate. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm 90% of my cases, we, we win. I, I carefully and intentionally do not do that. I'm not focused on the outcome of the case. It's easy to, to shift that mindset into being an advocate that undercuts your credibility. It's always nice to be on the winning side, okay? And many times I am, uh, and, and sometimes I am not. But I try to remember it's not my case. I'm one role player in a larger drama here. Sure. And that uh, I'll do the best I can, which means getting back to your point, I try to hit all deadlines. It's deadline intensive being an expert witness. I try to provide a very high quality meticulously prepared opinion, written documentation, written work product, because a lot of what you do is anal analyzing and then articulating your position in either a disclosure or a Rule 26 report in federal cases. And then third, if I give testimony, whether at deposition or trial, 
I try to be, I prepare the hell out of it. I, I prepare as if I'm taking the most important exam of my life. And it is an exam, you know, just whether it's a, a defending my thesis uh, in the master's program, but there at least I, I did not have a hostile audience. You were, you were being questioned by very smart people who have spent days and weeks preparing to make you look inconsistent and foolish. And so I approach testimony as a, a very important exam and, and I prepare, I try to prepare exhaustively for that and then let the chips fall where they may. I'll call balls and strikes that my testimony helps the side that hires me, fine. If, they, if it doesn't, fine. But ultimately, um, I'm going to call balls and strikes. They pay for my time. They do not pay for my opinion. And I'm very careful to let them know at, at the beginning of each engagement that I cannot warrant what my opinion will be. It'll be, right. it'll depend upon the facts. So I think I'd like to think timeliness, being easy to work with, to have a very high quality written work product, to be reliable and to be extremely prepared when you testify. All of those things, I think word of mouth, I do very little advertising or little right. or no advertising. The cases I get are word of mouth and you know, frankly, I'm turning away a lot of business because there's just one of me. And if I don't think I can do a quality job on a case, that's a long-winded answer in terms of what does, what does success look like? Uh, whereas in a, when I was in an operational claims role, obviously it was to contain costs, to manage the costs, not by doing unreasonable things, but to be vigilant in the claims. And so uh, I'm, I'm looking for a different metric sort of a different perspective as an expert witness to give my honest and objective opinion that I can defend. And then, but the end result to be process oriented, but the end result may or may not be a victory for the side that hires me. Right, right. Which is, which is good though, because that allows you to, you know, you're, you're on the side of right, on the side of what is the proper way to resolve this claim. And, you know, sometimes you got to pay. Sometimes you don't need to pay. Sometimes the plaintiff is right. Sometimes the defense is right. And it's important that, you know, you, you have advocates that will tell you the right thing to do. Um, so we've talked a lot about the last 40 years in claims. What do you think the claim industry is going to look like in, in 10 years? I wish I had my crystal ball polished. I think that the trend toward adoption and refinement of technology and sophisticated technology in order to achieve more productivity and, and bringing artificial intelligence to bear on claim specific uh, matters, not just in terms of macro trends on claims, but I can see the uh, refining AI and machine learning to provide enhanced case specific claim evaluation outcomes and, and assessments uh, based on historical trends, which may open up an, an interesting new area of bad faith in terms of you know, uh, people claiming that their, their claim or coverage was wrongfully denied uh, by AI. Right. <laughs> not, a, not another uh, three letter 
major insurance company um, and discovery. You know, let's let uh, the the production and discovery is going to probe about what kind of algorithms are used, what kind of machine learning methodology uh, that has to be thought through. Um, so I think I, I certainly see an accentuation of technology. Other other trends that come to mind off the top of my head, certainly autonomous driverless cars could greatly impact uh, personal uh, lines coverage in terms of uh, claim volume, if they are as safe as they're they're touted to be. There are skeptics, but you know, auto claims will not go away, but th there may be a diminishment of the number of auto adjusters uh, needed, um, or maybe more of a product liability bent. Yeah, few, fewer uh, cases involving uh, car crashes, but uh, switching more to product liability if. Sure. if if the Tesla, you know, ran over somebody, or uh, or or a Rivian uh, catches fire, uh, you you certainly got that. On the other hand, uh, as I mentioned, climate trends may drive uh, more personnel demands on on the property side. Uh, drones uh, could augment uh, claim investigation more and more. They're already being used for some in terms of. You know, go, going to places uh, to to view damage from above roofs and and such, or cat losses, where where the drone can cover uh, a more massive area than than a, per, a person can, or to augment the boots on the ground aspect. And and finally, I'd say you know data analytics and big data and using uh, data analytics and and big data and machine learning to forecast loss frequency and, and severity as, as a corner office claim tool for those uh, holding executive positions. So, but so sort of high tech developments in terms of the technology and the next level application of technology to decision-making and claim specific evaluation, but also high touch in terms of still a need for that personal aspect in handling claims and providing customer service for companies who want a competitive advantage, not just through we're cheaper, you can save 15%, you can save 20%, call and get a quote. That's what that's what draws people in, unfortunately, and reinforces this idea that insurance is just a commodity. It's not, they're not all the same. And right. when you have a claim, when you have a loss, it's really when that comes hitting home very much. Do they have the service to back up those commercials, are they really there for you? Yeah, no, very, very good points. And I, I think you're you're right on a, on a lot of different aspects regarding technology. I think there's going to be whole new cottage industries of, of litigation. And I do think, you know, customer service is, is still going to be king in, in another 10 years. So, so Kevin, thank you for joining the show today. It has, it's been great having you. Um, we'll My have pleasure. to do this again. Yeah. Chris, uh, I've enjoyed it. Always talking with you and a big admirer of your uh, body of work as well. Thank you for listening to Insurance Claims Innovation. Are you interested in being a guest on our show? We would love to have you. Visit us at go.secondlook.net slash podcast dash guest. Please share Insurance Claims Innovation with others on social media and provide rave reviews about our guests. 
The goal of Insurance Claims Innovation is to showcase others in the insurance claims arena who are using cutting-edge technology to gain a competitive advantage. Follow us at Insurance Claims Innovation and subscribe to our podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at Second Look Inc. Interested in learning more? Stop by our website at www.secondlook.net. Again, thank you for joining us today. My name is Chris Tidball, and I hope you found this to be time well spent.